0: Hello, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's oil analysts. We're going to take you through what's
1: happening in the energy in the Western Hemisphere. So kick us off, Jim. What are you seeing in Canada? So Warren Buffett has a phrase, never bet against America. And I certainly believe that to be true. But through all my years of experience in this industry, I've come to learn, never bet against a refinery engineer. They are incredibly ingenious, keeping this multi-billion dollar asset running. They're also world class at maximizing the efficiency of the refinery units and the various piping between the units. We'll see here in a minute or so, they're also getting much more efficient at the entire process from the refining through the sale to the customer. So Canada has 17 refineries, and they were built to supply the 38 million people of Canada. Around October of 2018, Canada's largest refinery, the Irving Oil Refinery in St. John's, New Brunswick, about 320,000 barrels a day, figured out a way to profitably export refined product to the U.S. Atlantic coast. In spite of having higher power costs and expensive crude, and competing with two very large pipelines coming up from the Gulf Coast, they've been able to accomplish this. Refinitives Flows Explorer shows the flows maxing out at about 7.2 million barrels a month to an average of about 5.8 million barrels a month. The learnings from the St. John's refinery has prompted people in Canada, Canada to start the 18th refinery scheduled for Kitimat, in British Columbia, about 400,000 barrels a day, $22 billion cost. Uh, they claim that this will be the state-of-the-art in green technology for refineries refineries, and it will likely displace some of the Korean and Chinese imports into the U.S. West Coast.
0: Wow. So, you know, speaking of the West Coast, it uh, looks like they've had a bit of a demand boost.
1: They have, actually, in the last couple weeks. Uh, Cracks have come from marginally positive to yesterday they were about $7.40 positive. Now they're coming off a little bit today to about $5 positive. Keep in mind that the overhead costs are about $6.50 a barrel. And what's been driving this is the Carbob, the California Blend. That crack was about $16.00. So the U.S. West Coast is a difficult place to do business, and it's virtually impossible for refiners to expand operations. However, the engineers have adapted. So knowing that the refineries will never be able to keep up with the demand, they have evolved into becoming gasoline blending machines. So they do produce quite a bit domestically, but they import the biggest component, blend component, and then overproduce some of the other components. So when you blend them together, bang, you get great margin and you're meeting your demand. So as noted in the Canadian section, watch the behavior around 2022 as the Kitimat Clean Limited refinery comes online. I suspect the Koreans and the Chinese refiners will not relinquish their U.S. West Coast customers easily.
0: So um, with that, you know, what about the Gulf Coast? Are they
1: in a different situation? They are. A bit of a different situation in the Gulf Coast. So the WTI crack in Houston, about $5.40 a barrel. The Eagleford crack in Corpus, about $4.15 a barrel. The WCS crack in Houston, about $2.50 a barrel. And keep in mind the refiner overhead costs in the Gulf Coast vary between $5.25 a barrel and $6.10 a barrel. So if we average, say, call that $5.75 a barrel, we can see that the re- refiners are marginally unprofitable on all grades in the Gulf coast right now. So the market is telling us that crude oil has advanced beyond the equilibrium point that product demand can support the drop in, the drop in cracks is being led by the gasoline crack, which has dropped from about $11 a barrel. When we were talking last week to about $7 a barrel now, but our focus this week is on refining e- refi- efficiencies, So I'll highlight some of the efficiencies the Gulf Coast refiners have been ahead of the market on. In the early 2000s, when it became obvious the refined product market was switching from the gasoline-driven market to a distillate-driven market, the great Hydrotruder build began, and all of the intermediate distillate streams, almost overnight, were cleaned up and put into the distillate pool. The dividend payment... On this is the optionality to produce more crude streams or to process more crude streams and to oversupply the 0.5% bunker market. Another efficiency is when the bunker market moved from 4.5% to 3.5% in 2012, there was a substantial amount of Cokers built. And the Coker economics were good then. They've even improved more so. When the dividend payment has grown in the fact that the U.S. Gulf Coast coker market is now becoming the destination of choice for high sulfur fuel oil.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've seen that myself. So I understand you have some good old Mexico, too.
1: Yeah, so the Mexican refining capacity hasn't been at full capacity, about 1.6 million barrels a day, since April of 2015. It is now. So kudos to President Obrador and the PEMEX engineers. That must have been a huge effort. Now there's evidence that the Mexican refining system is starting to develop like the U.S. West Coast system. So in spite of President Obrador's words, the focus isn't to meet 100% of the demand domestically, but to import the high volume components from the U.S. and produce the other blend stocks to meet the demand. And this is certainly the most efficient, cheapest way for Mexico to meet its growing refined products demand without piling on to their already burdensome debt. So, Corey, I understand you're seeing some non-crude developments going on in South America. What's the story there?
0: Uh, Yeah, Jim, thanks. Um, Yeah, I want to step away from crude for for just a moment today. Um, Way back in March 2019, rendered Brazil the country with the third highest confirmed infections took over 18,000 lives and caused President Trump to consider travel ban from the country. Uh, Petrobras started importing more LPG into Brazil due to concerns over supply limitations. The LPGs are important in Brazil as a cooking fuel and represent the only petroleum products there whose demand hasn't been negatively impacted by the pandemic. In fact, Brazil has seen an increase in demand for LPGs with everyone staying home. And Petrobras' refinery in Rio de Janeiro sold more than 90,000 tons in April, uh, which is a record. But in the, on the importing point, uh, Petrobras now expects to produce more LPGs locally and cut down on increased exports. We'll do this obviously through refining. Uh, Brazil has about 2.4 million barrels per day of refining capacity, most of which is Petrobras. As I mentioned in our last episode, e E&P and is, is the company's bread and butter, So they're looking to divest approximately half of what they currently control. Brazilian refining capacity is not all that complex. The country relies to a large extent on swapping its crude production for lighter grades. And With the onset of the virus, lowered average capacity utilization from about 76% to around 52%. Now, uh, the company is running at about 66% of capacity across its refineries. Just to put this into context, the last EIA reading for U.S. utilization was 69%. It never fell below 67 percent, and yes, I mean U.S. utilization generally comes in over 90 percent. So the drop there is significant, and so is the 67 percent. Now r- raise your hand if you know why. I mean, when utilization falls below 60 to 65 percent, it becomes a lot more difficult to bring things back online, and when even when you do, it is sometimes difficult to keep things running smoothly. So uh, Brazil, good. So with Brazil utilization falling to 52 percent. I'm suspect of continued running at the elevated levels. It's something we will be watching in regards to crude and products flows, especially as economic activity begins to normalize. So in keeping with our efficiency theme today, I mean, what do you think? Petrobras has been clear that refining is not its focus, and now it's engaged in bringing utilization back up when much of the country is facing fairly new lockdown measures, i.e. further demand impacts. My personal opinion is that it could see hiccups in refinery operations here, so generally, not the most efficient way of deploying its capital.
1: Oh man, that's that's definitely going to be something to follow. Uh, what's going on in other offshore South American production?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a couple of episodes ago, I talked about Guyana, and despite depressed demand and a low price environment, Guyana crude production has continued to increase. Uh, recent crude production there has averaged between seventy-five and eighty thousand barrels per day, and is expected to reach one hundred twenty thousand by early June. So we're definitely coming up on that. But if you're not familiar with the Guiana production, started this year as a joint effort among Exxon Hess, the CNOT. Production there is from an FPSO, and they have about 1.6 million barrels of storage on site. Sole grade coming out of there is LIZO. Liza is a medium sweet. About 31% of the barrel refines as middle distillates. And so far this year, about 30% has been exported to the Gulf Coast to the US. 8% has gone to China, and the remaining volumes have discharged to Panama. From Panama, however, some volumes have been re-exported to Long Beach. Well, right next door to Guyana, discoveries offshore of Suriname are getting some action. Until recently, Block 52 there was controlled by Petronas, which is Malaysia's wholly owned oil and gas company. As of this week, however, Petronas has completed a sale of 50% of its interest to ExxonMobil, and the companies expect to drill well there in the third quarter of this year. Now, given its proximity to the Destiny FPSO that's... Uh, right across, oil here will likely look a lot like ELIZA to find its way to the U.S. Gulf Coast or China. As for efficiencies, I mean I think this is great, Uh, ELIZA production can continue to ramp up and be stored on site if necessary, and as China pulls itself out of the economic doldrums, more can head that way. Uh, Petrona's decision to bring in an experienced operator playing in the same neighborhood will likely prove advantageous when economic activity picks back up.
1: Oh, man, that's great analysis. Uh, what else is going down down south?
0: Well, I mean, for one, Argentina has imposed a minimum domestic price of $45 a barrel uh, for be- Metanito crude. Um, there's some additional variables here, like Brent price, adjustments for crude quality and shipment points. But ultimately, this imposition benefits state-controlled YPF at the expense of independent rock finders and producers. In Colombia, I talked previously about how Ecopetrol is cutting its 2020 capital expenditures by half. Now, the Colombian government is considering intervening in pipeline rates, which independent producers have complained about, which Ecopetrol controls. And one of the five tankers on its way from Iran to Venezuela that we talked about last time—it's uh, it's on the way with gasoline—should enter Venezuelan waters on Sunday, and will be escorted by the military to its discharge point. So let's break this down. I mean, efficiency-wise. Argentina's actions sound about as efficient as trying to tax your way to prosperity. You know, the country there has bounced between recession and growth for several years now. I'm not, I don't think this action will help them in the least. And in fact, um, Argentina is supposed to make a, a $500 million in delayed bond interest payments today, which by the time you all hear this, you'll have not done, and it will mean the country has reached its ninth sovereign default since it began restructuring negotiations with its creditors. Uh, Colombia and Venezuela, well, we'll have to see how everything plays out there. So that's it for me today, Jim. Any closing thoughts?
1: So next week, we're going to talk about the major crude grades in each of the regions and how the pandemic has affected these grades. If anyone is looking for a leading indicator of the energy market, refining operations and economics, as well as oil grade operations and economics, are tried and tested.
0: All right. Thanks, Jim. As always, feel free to reach out to either Jim or myself to chat. Have a great week, everyone.